We're working on uh, Lesson 7, the Judges, Part 1, and we're on page 13. Question number 9 is where we left off at. Oh, I like this. What was the attitude of the people towards the judges? What's our attitude towards judges? Depends, <laughs> depends which side of the uh, aisle you're sitting on, huh? Yep. Okay, what was the attitude of the people towards the judges? Uh, I have down chapter 2 verses uh, 16 and 17, and I just went the wrong way here. Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of their raider, these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned away, turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. So the attitude of the people, how would you like to be a judge of people like that? And, and it wasn't just a judge of the people. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. The, uh, what were the judges there to do? And essentially they were liberators and deliverers of the people from the enemies, the people around them. They would deliver them. And they also did rule and administer justice. You would think that the people would have a bit bitter attitude towards somebody that was defending them. They didn't listen to them. Uh, question number 10. It says to list two reasons why God left a remnant of the Canaanites in the land. You know, God said he was going to, he sent them out to clear the land of all the people that were living there to claim it as their own. And then we read that uh, there should be two reasons why God left a remnant. Part of it was because they would not listen to his voice, is what he says in uh, that verse 20, verse 20 and 21. Uh, chapter 2. He was testing them too. Yes. Uh, one of the reasons he was testing them, and Rick was right, verse 21, I will no longer drive out any, drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them as a test to test Israel and see whether they keep the way of the Lord and walk in it. So, one, Israel violated the covenant. You know, the covenant was to follow God, God's laws, not to intermarry, not to worship idols, and that's what they decided they wanted to do, rather than follow God. You know, not to be, not to be political in any way, but if you look at present day, they still have 
people shooting rockets into their country. I mean, yeah. they still live with this kind of, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, consequence. And they have ever since, haven't they? Yeah. They still have that consequence, yeah. even today, it seems like. And you wonder what would have happened if they would have followed God's word, taken him in his word, and driven everybody out, or made them come to to Israel's way of thinking, to God. Okay, let's go on to uh, question 11. Question 11 says, using the whole passage, chapter 2, verse 6, through chapter 3, verse 6, explain the cycle of events that was to recur that was to recur through all the period of the judges. Every time God gave them a law, they disobeyed it. They didn't, they didn't follow God very long, did they? Um, if they had a good judge, they would follow while that judge was there. While they had a judge. When, um, when, then as soon as that judge was gone, they talked. They went back to their old way. God would give them a judge, and that person would lead. As long as they were lead, being led by the judge, even though the people didn't really listen to the judges at very much, then Israel was safe. And when that judge passed away, then they went back to their ways. Uh, I'm going to. Verse 19. Yeah, I was going to read here uh, Judges 2, uh, beginning in verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. And they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders, yet they would not listen to judges but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors following other gods, serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. And therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. It was a repeated falling away. While they had a judge, God was with them. 
when they didn't have a judge, they were more corrupt than a previous generation. So they, not only did they disobey, they didn't learn. You, you would go for hundreds of years uh, seeing the same thing happen again and again. And they were getting more corrupt as they were going on. Okay, next page is question 12. During the period of the judges, what caused Israel's troubles? I just had a thought. They, uh, they took wives that were idol worshippers, and then they became idol worshippers themselves. Yeah, and what was part of the... God told them not to worship idols, but what was another law that he gave them? The intermarriage. Do not marry within to them, and don't give your sons, don't give your daughters to them, or take their daughters in in marriage. The question says, what caused Israel's troubles? I had down not listening to God, turning away to worship idols, but, you know, when you get right down to it, Israel caused their own troubles by not following God. Uh, and B, part B of that question, what brought the Israelites into such close connection with heathen peoples? Well, yeah, they were living so close to them, and <laughs> in-laws and outlaws all at the yeah, same time. <laughs> okay, question 13, the early judges. Uh, they're asked here, what is meant by the Balaam and the Asheroth? And the K King James Version says groves. Well, Balaam was the, the god of uh, all the other gods. And the Asteros was the wooden symbol of a female god. Yeah. And then the groves were the areas that they worshipped. That, that was where they worshipped in the Asteros, in the groves. I looked it up a little bit, and there there's various names of Baal in Scripture. They had, they had it began with Baal, which basically means uh, Lord. But they have Baal Gad, that was the uh, Lord of Good Fortune, and that one's in Joshua chapter 11. Baal Hammon, Lord of Wealth, and that's in Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Baal Hazor, and that was Baal's village in 2 Samuel. Baal Meon, Lord of the Dwelling, that's in Numbers 32. Baal Tamar, Lord of the Palm Tree in Judges. And there were others. And Baal-zebub was the form of the name of Baal who was worshipped at the Philistine city of Ekron. Uh, the Baal, under this aspect of worship, was viewed as a producer of flies and therefore able to control this pest so common to the people in that area. And the Baal that they mention here uh, mostly means the uh, Canaanite storm god who also had fertility functions. And the commentator went on to state that, that that could appeal to Israel at this point because fertility was based a lot on the agriculture. This, this would give them good crops. Um, he was a rain god, a storm god also. You know, the thunder would come, the lightning, they would see that. Uh, they would 
get good produce if they worshipped this Baal. Uh, they said his personal name here was Hadad, and there was also a sun god among the other gods. They did other practices there. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, it states that, For they have forsaken me and made this a place of foreign gods. They have burned incense in it to gods that neither they knew nor their ancestors, nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. They were sacrificing their own children in fire to Baal. How did they get so far off the path? How, how could they leave God and come up with this? Um, in verse uh, 2 and 13, chapter 2, verse 13, the Asherahs, they're in reference to uh, Astarte, a popular animal-slash-human fertility goddess, which is a female deity, and a consort of Baal. She was associated with war, and she was often pictured in Canaanite and Egyptian uh, iconography as standing or riding on a horse and carrying a bow, an arrow or spear, and shield. And both the Baals and Ashtaroths are plural, as there are many of them. They could re refer to either local in that, that area or over the large area of land. could refer to even more of them, also called Baal or Ashtaroth. And uh, so the Baals basically equaled their gods, and the Ashtaroths were their goddesses. Yes, Pat. I have uh, all the widow ladies over once a month to watch uh, videos of the Holy Land, and we're studying this. And we were all shocked to hear what they were saying. And would you like me to tell you what they were saying? Yeah, go. They had these groves, they had these altars, and like you said, they had fertility god, Ashtaroth. And they would have an altar there, and they would perform sexual intercourse in front of the whole congregation. And then they would take the, uh, the little live baby and throw it into the fire as an offering to their god to have fertility. And uh, these so-called Israelites were partaking of all this, and then the next day maybe they would go and worship the Lord our God. So yeah. they were such hypocrites. Yeah, they, they probably thought, well, we'll appease God this way, but... It's nauseating. No. They, they went way, way off the beaten path. Okay, so on to question uh, number 14 here. It says... Name the first three judges, real quick. Othniel, Ehud, yes, very good. And it doesn't get into some of these judges what they what they did. Um, Ehud was very, uh, I don't know, it almost make like a movie what he did. 
and I didn't write that verse down. I thought I had. Yes, chapter 3 and verse 15. The Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, and he would, it, the Israelites sent him with tribute to the king of Moab. Verse uh, 16 says, Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing, and he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, and this tribute would be what the king demanded of them. They were under his, under his rule and control. Uh, after he had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us, and they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels dis discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors locked, and they said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment. But when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their lord fallen to the floor, dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. And as after Ehud had escaped, he went back and, and told the uh, people. In verse 28, he said, Follow me. For the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him, took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab, and they allowed no one to cross over. At that time they struck down 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong, not one escaped. And that day Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. That's the length of time that uh, Ehud had lived then after that. It's, there's a lot of stories in here that show how God is good to the people and takes care of them, punishes their enemies. That, that guy must have been, it says that guy was pretty fat, and that sword was only, though, about 18 inches. You yeah, know, about know, this like long. Half, so it's not too big for a fat guy to like, swallow up. <laughs> I and, think it's kind of silly, but it's, you know. It's and God fun. gave him strength, or he was a strong man. It would take a lot to do that, to I'm sure God gave him the strength he needed. Okay. Chapter 4, uh, verse uh, question 1 here, it says to identify the following. Okay. Who is Jabin in the uh, chapter 4 here? First one is the king of Canaan. The king of Canaan. Then we have Sisera. He was a commander of that king's army. Commander of the Can Canaan army, Canaanite army. And Hazor. It was a place where he reigned. 
Yeah, that was the uh, the capital of Canaan, basically. It's the city there. And Deborah. Deborah was a judge, uh, a prophet, and she was a leader of Israel. And Barak, son of Abinoam, Yeah, I just gave that. The son of Abinanam, and he led 10,000 men into battle against Sisera, the king of uh, uh, the commander of the Canaanite army. And then we have the major player in this story, JL. Who is she? She played a very important part here. I think he was a Kenite. Uh, Heber. Heber was his name. Yeah. Uh, and she wound up killing King Jabin with a tent peg right through the temple. Nailed him to the ground. According to verses 4 and 5, what two functions did the judges have? They judged Israel and they gave the people judgment. They gave them, uh, they judged them and gave them judgment. She would hear, she would hear disputes and decide, hear and decide disputes is one translation. Yes. Like we think of a judge. And she was, uh, well, she was the leader of Israel at that time. The judges wound up, they were the leaders of, of Israel at that time. And they also did the judging. It was basically their government almost, and it was it was God giving them, telling them what to do. But uh, God was in charge, and then running this through a person, just as He did with uh, Moses. Okay, they have a uh, question two. The judges, uh, according to verses one four, what did the judges do? They were to lead and protect. And then part B. Now. I'm, uh, I keep coming up with A, B, and C on my stuff, and I don't put it in there, and I can't take it off. I don't know why it started. Uh, question three. What is meant in verse nine? For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And it says, consider the whole story before you answer. She was used to get rid of the army. Uh, say that she again. She was used to get rid of the army, the commander's army. Uh, Jabin's. Yeah, she was used to oh. get rid of Jabin's uh, commission. Okay, yeah, she was used. I, I kept hearing the word refused, and I, I was having a hard time. <laughs> yes, she was She was the one that actually killed the commander of the army. And uh, Cicero was the one you're talking about that J.L. basically picked. Yes. 
And uh, question three here. Oh, question three. What is meant by the verse, the Lord will sell cistern in the hand of a woman? It basically states also that Barak didn't obey completely. He said he would only go if Deborah also went. Let's see, in verse uh, 8. She got a hold of Barak and said that God wanted him to go and fight the army. And Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. And I thought, what kind of an attitude is that to have when God's telling you to do something and you say, well, the person that's giving you this message from God, well, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't. So in verse nine, she says, certainly I will go with you said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will de deliver Sistra into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kaddish. This next part, uh, Deborah's Song of Victory, there's I didn't really see any questions in this. Yeah, okay, I was thinking I wasn't reading it right or anything, but there's no questions, but they go through it. If you read down through, it's uh, they have it divided up into six different parts. Uh, and it's Deborah's Song of Victory. It's, it's uh, chapter 5. They have a historical introduction. There's a call to praise God. There's a significance of the victory in verses 3 through 11. It's a glorious time when Israel was made the nation of God. And then the, uh, the disgraceful decline of the nation in recent times, verses 6 through 8. And then a joyful change upon Deborah's appearance, verses 9 through 11. Then we go into another section in verse 12, a call to rejoice in victory. They have a vivid description of the conflict and victory, the gathering of the brave to battle, the cowardice of those who stayed away from the battle, and the bravery of Zebulun and Issachar. The last one is the account of the glorious issue of the battle and the victory. In conclusion, the hope that all the enemies of God may perish while his friends shine as the sun. And that's in verse uh, 31. Down read. Let's go on over to uh, lesson 9, page 16. More of the Judges. Oppression by the Midianites and humiliation of Israel in uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Question is, how did the Midianites oppress Israel? What did they do here? They were afraid of them. They lived in the caves instead of tents. Yeah, they had, they had to retreat to the mountains. 
to live in caves and uh, clefts of where the uh, mountain would give them some protection because they were afraid of the Midianites. And what was the Midianites doing to them? I wanted to make a comment. I oh. believe Moses' wife was a Midianite. Yes, yes. I was thinking of his second wife. I'm, um, she, she was, uh, I'm trying to think of what she was. Yeah, you're talking. Yes, yes. I'm thinking Ethiopian, but I don't think that was. It, I don't think that was it. it. It doesn't doesn't really matter right now. That'll be extra points for next week. No, I don't know. Um, but the uh, the Midians were so oppressive. Yeah. In uh, verse 3, chapter 6 and verse 3, it says, Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkey. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. And Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 7, When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So there was a reason why they were in the position they were in, and God states it here again, why, why they were being, being punished, suffering for their, their problems. So Midianites were... Terrible people destroyed everything, and they had to live up in the mountains in caves to get away from them. Question number three. Seeing that the people had to understand why they were humble before Midianites, what explanation does the prophet make in this regard? Well, I just read it. God, brought, God explained that he brought them from Egypt. He delivered them from their oppressors, gave them land, but the people didn't listen didn't follow God, and again, they fell away. And after they cry out to God, that's when he comes to their rescue. Well, we got about a minute to go. I don't really want to get started in on the uh, question four here, uh, call to Gideon. Once we get started on that, it would be good to keep on going through. Anybody have anything they want to bring up about the lesson we just studied? Okay, well, thank you, everyone, for your comments. Does that start automatically, Rick, or do you want to? Oh, it's fine. We can turn it off.
I guess we don't really need it now, do we? I'm not going to use it right now. Just get rid of the other Good evening. It's glad to see everybody here. Uh, won't take too much of your time here, but if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 9 through 16, the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of law. When you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Of course, these are the things that God was promising them. Kind of goes with our judges. Uh, teaching or study that we're doing, uh, this, these were the promises that God gave them, the choice that he gave them before they entered the promised land. And notice what God is telling the Israelites. It's really the same message that Jesus and, and all the apostles talk about and tell us. If we obey God, if we follow the Lord, then we will be blessed. If you see verses 11 through 14, that I just read, you know, none of this is too difficult. We can choose to follow the Lord. It's not hidden. We have the Bible. He's put everything there. It's pretty plain, just like he was telling the Israelites. It was pretty plain what he told them he wanted them to do and what he wanted them not to do. You know, we don't need to climb the highest mountain or swim the deepest sea. God's statutes and his guidelines are all right there in the Bible. Men are teaching and spreading the gospel, God's message. We can choose to listen to it. We can choose to read it. And God speaks plainly. It's all evident, even in the Old Testament, his message, his teaching, it's not a mystery. So how do we not understand? Just, just like they did not understand. You know, if another person stood in front of us, basically with such a clear declaration, say with a, a gun or a sword and said, live or die, I think the choice would be pretty obvious. So that's that was the choice he's given. That's the choice he's always been giving us anyway. Um, having us choose life or death, the answer should be obvious. But notice that this is not a threat, but it's a promise. It's a declaration of fact. We can choose the answer, it just seems so evident. The warning should not even be necessary, but 
God allows us to choose. If you skip down to verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Even our ability to choose, the fact that we can choose, comes from God. Life or death, blessing or curse. What are we choosing in our daily lives? You know, are we looking to God for his guidance? Are we choosing life? We need to. We always need to for our families, for our friends, for ourselves. If anyone here needs a clean slate, a chance to make the right choice, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, please come forward as we stand and sing.